Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. A couple quick announcements. All right, as you probably know, we are launching Nerdist at Meltdown. Nerdist Industries at Meltdown Comics on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Right across from Guitar Center, where they're probably having some sort of a bi-weekly sale on Fender Strats. Uh, also, uh, Saturday, April 2nd, is our first show, Jimmy Dore's Poppin' Politics. Just added, Sunday, April 3rd, Nerdist Podcast Live with James Gunn. He is the director of Super with Rain Wilson that opens uh, this weekend. So here's the deal with that show. Tickets are $10, but if you show up with your ticket stub from any screening of Super from this weekend, you will get in for free. So free show if you have your Super ticket stub. Uh, $10 for everyone else. That's at 8 o'clock. And then, of course, uh, Monday, April 4th, Black Dynamite Night. Uh, this other new show was also just added. May 2nd, Kevin Pereira. Of Attack of the Show. Uh, that will be a Nerdist podcast live at Meltdown Comics as well. So you can check all this information out at meltcomics.com uh, before we get our uh, calendar up on nerdist.com. So that'll have all the information on the show's meltcomics.com. And we are through the looking glass, people. The last week and a half before the Boston show at the Wilbur Theater. Uh, the tickets have been selling really well, so thank you so much for that. Uh, there's still a handful left, so uh, grab them now and beat the lines. Hope there's lines. Ticket link on that at Nerdist.com. All right, that's it. Here we go. The next Nerdist podcast with Mr. Timothy Ferris. A very smart man with a lot of big plans about how to streamline your life and shape up your body. Why am I talking like this? I'm annoying myself. Now entering Nerdist.com. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, he's like, hey, you want to see something? And he just pulls open a drawer, like his underwear drawer, and it's just like full of like knives and a grenade. But then what? But then yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. And what if he did that and he was like, check out my underwear? Like he did. It'd be weirder if there was also underwear in there. Like, you know, underwear, socks, knives. Don't mind the knives. Check out my underwears. That's so weirdly specific, raised by his grandparents. I know exactly what kind. You know yeah, exactly, exactly what kind of kid. You know yeah. exactly what kind of kid yeah. that is. Is it like the kid smells of must? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had so many of those friends. I, I had a few of those friends in high school. And, and yes, that's must. such a perfect description. You go over there, and it just, there were like heavy curtains, yeah. and, the, and the houses always just smelled like. Yeah. Was it, 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 that was the must emanating from the curtains, or was and, it emanating from the grandparents? And mothballs. Uh, and mothballs, moth too. Yeah. Oh, grandparents love mothballs. Yeah, yeah. They do. Those moth are balls love grandparents. Can you still. <laughs> 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 they're a lot like those kids, like in that one bit you have, that like the, the kids from Old Sperm. Yes, like that's a very similar kid. Oh, <laughs> oh, I just, I just have a bit that old sperm makes really dweeby kids. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, they don't get better with age. <laughs> sperm, that is. No, they, they don't. But I always think, like, like the way the way a kid runs in gym class is, like, the older the sperm, I just feel like the worse they run because it's very, it's very, uh, it's sort of. Uh, Recapitulates their time in the you know like getting to the egg where they're just it's like the the tail doesn't work as well and it just kind of flops around but yeah. somehow they uh, made it. It's, it's, it's a miracle that they, they got there anyway. The, the egg took pity on it. Like oh, I feel bad for this one. Yeah. All right, get in here. Get that in is here. exactly what the mom did when they got married. Yeah. All right, <laughs> and oh, you can see the pattern repeating itself over and over again. Uh, we're here in the abode of Tim Ferris. Tim, yay! Sorry we bring an audience. We had, uh, that's all right. 
Um, it's very exciting to be in your house because I feel like I've seen you, you had pictures. Mm-hmm. I've seen pictures of, of parts of your house from yes. the. Uh, the detective that I've had following you around. That's kind of uh, sick. And they're very high He's been quality. very courteous. He is. Yeah. He is. And he's a great photographer. The shots are just... Gr- oh, very... Composition. Such a good... He's really nice. Yeah. He's like, hey guys, that old gumshoe stereotype, that's the old days. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how we roll now. Oh, no. Shutterbugs. <laughs> but um, when I, I, I wrote a piece, for, a feature for Wired in 2000... I wrote it in 2007 and it came out in 2008. Uh, and it was about how I took these three different productivity systems and tried to apply them because I was, at the time, I was sort of self-help obsessed. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I spent so much time in my car in Los Angeles, rather than listening to the same playlists over and over again, I was going to start listening to, like, improvement uh, uh, audiobooks or whatever. And most of them will probably be crappy, but if I can get one good thing out of it, then it's probably worth it. And it seems, you know, mm-hmm. seems constructive. And so the, then this Wired piece came along, and I and I reviewed, um, I implemented your book, and uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done. Of course. And then another book called Never Check Email in the Morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I interviewed each of the authors, and when I interviewed you on the phone, I, I don't know, I just felt like we totally hit it off right away. You, you're a comedy fan, you're a, right, you're a normal guy, you know, D- David Allen and Julie Morgenstern were both nice people, but they were very adult and it was very. It I've was, tried to postpone maturing yeah. for as long as humanly possible. It was very. They were very. They were very grown up. It was like talking to your parents about like how, why you should clean your room. <laughs> and uh, and and then and you and I, I think I feel like we talked for like you know thirty or forty minutes, not even really about the the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we kind of got to the book, and then and then so we became pals. So yeah. Uh, so congratulations on the success. First of all, a four-hour work week, which uh, which I really enjoyed. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm convinced. I'm 14 minutes into my 15 minutes of fame. So I don't think to that's enjoy true. That last 60. No, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, don't, I, honestly, I don't think that's. I don't. I don't think that's true at all. Because you're. If anyone reads For Our Work Week or they read the new book For Our Body, uh, you're a guy who is not afraid to just go out and try stuff and mm-hmm. and, and experiment on yourself. And you know, I just feel like. If, if your next thing will just be some new thing that you decide to try, and because there is, you know, an almost infinite combination of things you can do, I don't think you will ever get stale in that way. Are you going to ever put out a four-hour nap? Four-hour nap. That's what I'll probably. I do. hear there's a lot of competition <laughs> <laughs> through my connects in the industry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to. Someone had suggested I do something on relationships, and I said, "Well, the four-hour marriage sounds bad, <laughs> so it would have to be the four-hour courtship." Oh, yeah, which I think would be a better seller, but I'm not sure if Americans understand what courtship means. Like uh, the, uh, it's like playing with their tits, right? Yeah, that, that's what I assumed that right? meant. It was suggested. It's right. not putting the old finger in before you fucking put the dick in, right? That's what the courtship. That's yeah. the courtship. Yeah. yeah, that's a courtship, <laughs> and that was the collective sound of every woman just turning the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it was a parody of uh, how a shitty guy would say something. <laughs> I feel like we, I feel like we quote unquote parody that guy a lot. <laughs> He's a very popular character that we like to go back to. <laughs> but um, so when you know, let's just just for us, you know, we'll talk about for our work week a little bit. But yeah, we can talk well, about whatever you'd like, man. Well, I want to. We, we definitely want to get to for our body because we all. Uh, well, Matt and I read it, and Jonah. <laughs> Jonah tried to piece together use the, the ransom program. letter approach. <laughs> Use yes. I call it Jonah's notes. <laughs> using Amazon reviews, he tried to piece together. <laughs> oh no, there's an Amazon reviews, uh, just reviews of the book, like on Men's Health. Mm-hmm. Um, Ask Men uh, had a sure. <laughs> um, like a blurb on it, and I, I, I thought I had it. I really did. I really did. 
Uh, Even after I told him you could, you can borrow the book. <laughs> like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I got Anno. Sold. Done. I got it. You've been on Amazon. It's like eighty-five reviews. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm four-hour work weeking four-hour body. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm using one hack to hack another hack. Yeah, it's yeah. like two hours tops. Yeah. <laughs> it's all life hacks. It's all life yeah. hacks, you guys. So, uh, uh, like, what did you initially come up with the idea to do uh, for our work week? Which I'm sure is a story you've told uh, to you know 50 million times already. The story really began with a breakup. Actually, I had a girlfriend break up with me in mid 2004. Closest I've come to getting engaged, and it was because of my work schedule. It was Mm -hmm. 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. ish, something Mm -hmm. like that, because I was chasing time zones, Mm -hmm. dealing with different countries. And I was oblivious to the fact that that was a problem, <laughs> which I think is true with a lot of problems. Yeah. I was like, what do, you, what do you mean you don't like seeing me 10 minutes every other day? Uh, I, don't, I don't see why this affects our relationship. And that was the end. And I realized that time really determined the value of income. I had no plans to be a writer whatsoever. I, I had a traumatic, extremely traumatic experience with my senior thesis in college, and I've, I vowed never to write anything longer than an email after that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what was the thesis on? Uh, thesis was on acquisition of Chinese characters by native English speakers and looking at phonetic and semantic mechanisms for improving that process. Oh, yes, yes. It's, it's a big... It's We've a big, all it's, been there. That's actually my next book. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of publishing the thesis. Oh, wow. really? No. <laughs> kidding. I would get a nosebleed just writing that <laughs> right. sentence yeah, out. The title <laughs> of the thing. <laughs> the nosebleeds were part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I took a year or actually a year and a half to walk about basically to travel around the world and the first four weeks were dedicated to getting myself off of email so that I could actually look at my life with some perspective as opposed to just dodging bullets Mm -hmm. and uh, hitting send receive like a rat with a cocaine pellet dispenser (laughs) and that four week just ended up being extended because I'd lived my life in 15 minute outlook increments up to that point and I said all right no more planning no more calendar I'm just going to go wherever people recommend I go. Mm-hmm. And throughout that process, I was still at the time, and I still am now, giving lectures twice a year at uh, Princeton University in high-tech entrepreneurship, which was a class I was a student in uh, in uh, 99, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I gave the lecture from Argentina when I was there. I gave it via the phone. And instead of talking about my usual shtick about how to build profitable companies without outside financing, I talked about quantifying your ideal lifestyle, really sitting down and defining what that post-retirement or $20 million payday post-lifestyle is, and then working backwards to develop a business model, whether it's a career or startup, to support that. Mm -hmm. So really approaching it backwards uh, compared to most people who are doing, let's say, retirement-based career planning. And and, and that was one of the main themes that I got from from 4-Hour Workweek was you know why why postpone and you know why postpone your you know the rest of your life vacation right basically yeah. uh, when what what are you going to do with that time when you're you know 70 years old right. at, at that point why not enjoy it now no exactly and uh, gave the class had a lot of positive feedback it was the first time i talked about what i ended up labeling lifestyle design ton of feedback and one of the students in in very Ivy League fashion was like, oh, you should just write a book and be fucking done with it. Why are you <laughs> like smiley emoticon? I was like, well, I'm not sure if that was like a slam down or a, a real suggestion. But smug prince. <laughs> I know. God damn it. I know. God damn it. So 
Uh, I remember one time I was like, yeah, I'm an alumni. And they were like, alumnus, you mean? And I was like, yeah. Uh, yes, that's, that's what I meant. Thank you. And, uh, you fail for today. You yeah, fail for yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that planted the seed and much, much later had time to kill and put together a book proposal just for shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. And then an author, uh, Jack Canfield, the guy who co-created Chicken Soup for the Soul. Okay. I, sent his, I sent the proposal to him. Not many people have heard this part. And I said, Jack, am I full of crap or should I actually do something with this? And it was just like a pet project for fun, really. And he said, no, I think you should. And he introduced me to a few people as potential agents, all of whom turned me down except for one guy who was new as an agent but had been in publishing for a long time named Steve Hanselman. Went out, pitched the book, got turned down 26 times, and then Crown within Random House bought it, and here we are. So, wow. Uh, now, do you, do, you, do, you ever, uh, do you ever call up those other publishers and be like, Slick move, guys. <laughs> I haven't called them up. You get any gloating? You get any gloating time? I, I've had some gloating time, but it's been very indirect. Right. I'm, I'm not, I won't say passive aggressive, but when I, if I get emails that are like, you so deserved it, I wanted to buy that book, but you know, so-and-so just didn't oh, want to do it, and I'm right. like, oh, thanks for the consolation email. <laughs> Have a wonderfully year or life. <laughs> Sincerely, Tim Ferriss. <laughs> because the turndowns weren't like, oh no, we like it, but we can't do it now. It was like, you, I cannot believe you're so full of shit. It was wow. like, they were very, Jesus. They were very strong. And those weren't sent to me directly, but to my agent. Like, who's this punk ass frat boy? Which I wasn't. I wasn't even a frat boy, really. Um, but I guess I look like one. So if you want to punch me in the face uh, when they see the about the author photo, but part, part, of, part of my polarizing appeal, apparently. Uh, so yeah, it's been a real. It's been a real adventure. Uh, not too much gloating. But uh, just just enough to make my quality of you're life better. You're owed some gloating. Though. You get a little yeah, bit of gloating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how did you grow up? And I mean, because you're obviously a very methodical person. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were. We had dinner maybe eight months ago, and you're trying. You were trying to explain to me how how you learned Turkish in, a, in like a week. Oh yes. <laughs> you were explaining to me. I was like, ah, I just I don't even know if I would ever consider that might be a possibility for me. I'd probably just be like. Well, I, this here's here's my train of thought. Um, yeah, I'm probably not gonna learn Turkish. Eh, fuck it, I'm probably not gonna go to Turkey now. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just stay here. I'll just stay here. Yeah, I I think a lot of that behavior stems from early wins, and part of that, if you look at the things that I've tried to deconstruct, there there is a high frequency of failure within all of them, like language learning. Mm-hmm. A lot of failure. You're not going to get good at language without making a lot of mistakes. And I do think that very early on, I was, big surprise, hyperactive kid, and I was born premature, had my left lung collapse, had a number of health issues, and I was really small. So I couldn't compete in any sports, couldn't finish the presidential fitness tests that they subjected every kid to. Me? Yeah. (laughs) I was a mess. Like, I had horrible allergies. The only sport that I could participated in was wrestling in kitty wrestling program because it was weight class based mm-hmm. so you know i'd wrestle the whatever four-year-old girl i guess at the time so so small <laughs> and ended up inoculating myself against failure in a sense i started viewing mistakes failure as feedback really early on because of that wow that is incredible i mean that's yeah. not that's not so, that, that's just not something that most kids know to do yeah and i think also in american culture in general it's it's inc- it's a medal for everyone's society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually really bad for mm-hmm. people. I think that it does not prepare kids in particular for the real world. If it's like, hey, Johnny, 
you didn't do that well. You're actually horrible, but we're going to give you a badge, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't you don't need to try any harder. It doesn't prepare then, them for those rejection letters. It doesn't prepare the them for, like, who the fuck is this punk-ass yeah, letters. Yeah. And then they get one of those, and they're devastated, and they, they don't pitch the 27th publisher. Uh, and I think my, my parents were also very good at just exposing me to a lot of environments, meaning whether it was aquariums or going to the beach or going out in nature and letting me find things I was interested in and then just facilitating the exploration. They never pushed me to learn uh, French and count to 10 in front of their friends or whatever, which is pretty common. I mean, that's happened to many people I know, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I never developed an aversion to learning Mm -hmm. because of that, except for math. One math teacher fucked me up. And part of the reason that I went uh, went went to the school I did was that there was no math requirement. That was actually a major Whoa. factor in my decision. Uh, yeah. Well, math is dumb. Yeah, I mean, let's Ironically, face it. Ironically, why I went to the high school I went to, they had no gym. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> and I didn't go to college. So it all yeah. seems that happened. Yeah, well. <laughs> so where, where did you go to college? Oh, you went to Princeton? Yes. And and so what is Princeton? What was what what, what is Princeton like? Is it is is it as snooty as everyone says? You know, like is as snooty as the... Not everyone says, but yeah. is it snooty as the, impre- as no, the it's impression everyone. that I have? Is it, <laughs> no, it's is it as snooty as The Simpsons makes it? Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I would like to say it isn't, but I, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I had a, a few amazing experiences there. There were a number of professors I never would have had access to otherwise who were just incredible, like John McPhee, who's won at least one, maybe two Pulitzer Prizes, was able to do nonfiction with him. Then Kenzaburo Oe, who was a Nobel Prize winner for was he a Literature or Peace Prize of don't recall, did a class with him. And those are opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise, and they had a big impact on me. But collectively, I found the, the administration and the culture to be very conservative. Mm-hmm. And while they were doing some groundbreaking things in a few isolated areas, uh, very stodgy and stuffy. And I did not have the best experience there. I really <laughs> didn't. I think that I would have been... Probably would have been happier, but it's always easy to speculate. Had I been at, let's say, Brown, where a lot of my friends went, mm-hmm. or Stanford, perhaps. But I don't regret having gone there. I learned a lot, but uh, the only I don't so I get hit, which is amazing to me, since they have like a fifteen trillion dollar endowment. But you know, I get hit by fundraising letters and calls all the time. <clears throat> Which is still mystifying to me. I'm just like, what are you guys doing with your 13, 15 billion? Like, I want to know where that's going first before I write you my $100 check or yeah, whatever. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but there, is, there are the eating clubs at Princeton. And a lot of people aren't familiar with the eating clubs. They're fairly unique uh, to Princeton, maybe one or two other schools. They're co-ed fraternities, basically. Okay. But this is what makes them a, a little unusual. There's one street called Prospect. And there are these huge mansions that line the street on either side, and each of those are eating clubs. And so you can either sign in to some of these eating clubs, and they all have their stereotypes. Like there's one for this, the computer science guys. There's one for the football players and uh, you know softball players who like banging football players. And then there's one for the lacrosse players and the lacrosse institutes, which they were called. Lacrosse <laughs> uh, Yeah, because nice. lacrosse was the big, like the baller sport. And... Uh, you can sign into some of them, meaning first X number of people to sign in, get in. And then there's what's called Bicker, where you have to have anywhere from, let's say, five to ten interviews to get into these clubs. This is something rich white people do. No, no, no yes. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, there is one eating club where all kind of the, I'm not going to say misfits, but in a positive way. People who don't fit in cleanly into one of those categories go, and it's called Terrace. They have a big rainbow flag out in the front. It's like all the punk rockers, all the LGBA the Delta folks. House. Yeah, the Delta yeah. House, exactly. And so I Sounds ended like up the at, best one. I ended up at Terrace. Yeah. Uh, 
ultimately, and I give money to Terrace. I don't give money to Princeton. Now, what is an eating club? You like? Yeah. So you pay you pay a, an, an obscene amount of money to eat there. So you, for the first two years, you have residential colleges, just like any college. You eat at a cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Past at the end of sophomore year, you can either go independent, which means you have to cook your own food. So I was out. I mean, I tried that and gave myself food poisoning. We'll get that. We'll get back to food poisoning. <laughs> gave myself food poisoning within a week because I cooked. This is awesome. I had a rice cooker. I'm like, oh my god, rice cookers are amazing. You can just cook whatever and you just let it sit in there. And so I made this meal with like rice tuna egg and I was like oh you know I don't need to refrigerate that I just let it sit for like two days and, and got so violently ill oh it was horrible so I decided I'm glad you told me that because yeah. I've always you know like if something sits up for a couple of days I always go I wonder how long it would yeah, take yeah. to get sick yeah, yeah. that's pretty quick yeah it's pretty fast apparently like tuna and eggs uh, and rice and water you don't want to let that sit too long no. okay good time uh, and, uh, so you pay money you eat your meals there uh, it's basically you can either cook your own food, go to a co-op, which I was, which has its own culture, which <laughs> a little, little unusual at Princeton anyway. Not bad, but different. And then you can go to these eating clubs where they have professional chefs who make meals. And uh, I ended up at Terrace. Wow, this is yeah. a whole, whole separate social stratum that I never even. Yeah. So I've heard rumors like uh, some of these eating clubs. I don't necessarily believe this, but I could, I could see how the number would be staggering. There's one club called Ivy where. F. Scott Fitzgerald, JFK, the, a lot of the blue bloods mm-hmm. tend to go, and it's not you know you can't. I, th- I think that blaming someone for being a blue blood is kind of stupid, right? So they're not yeah, I mean, just like you don't choose to be born poor. If you're born rich, then who the fuck cares? But a lot of blue bloods go there, okay. and th- I've heard that the endowment of Ivy Club as an eating club, uh, s- this has been repeated multiple times, which doesn't make it true, uh, is as big as Brown University. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> so I'm like, again, why do you need, you know, why does Princeton need my hundred dollars? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could but, you give that to Guatemala? No. Yeah. yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> no. We need better gloves for the servants. <laughs> we need gloves for the servant servants. We're paying by the grass blade. <laughs> That's how it's done. Yeah. But the crepes are fantastic. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about it, really, I mean, melt in your mouth. Yeah, and I, and I, I mean, I had friends at, at many of the different eating clubs, but you can see it's uh, it's very stratified, and I think that's true in all of human <coughs> society. But it's particularly stark at Princeton. Did everyone at the the terrace? Was that the one you went to? Yeah, yeah. Was was everybody really kind of in it together? Like it's like like that communal. None of us fit in. Uh, yeah, everyone yeah. understand that. Like yeah. you said, there was like punk rockers and gay and lesbians. And yeah, there was there was a, a pretty strong cohesion in that group because of that that's really awesome which was cool and it's yeah, yeah. A, and even still when i go back to princeton i will go and hang out at terrace and nobody gives a fuck whereas if i wandered in like the weird they'd be like who's the weird grad student you know like <laughs> why is the old guy here uh almost anywhere else i'd feel really uncomfortable i can wander in there and i chill out and nobody gives a fuck which oh, is cool, cool. Yeah. yeah which I, I i from what i hear that's rare to find in college where there's just like a group that brings you in because you're different yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, especially at a place. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Princeton. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> which I mean, it's an amazing school, but I, I, I did not have the best experience there. But then after school, is that you? St- did you start traveling right after college? Is that no, right? no. I came out here, so I came. To, I, I ended up in the Bay Area because my professor in the high tech entrepreneurship class invests in a lot of startups. He was formerly head of IBM Data Storage and did all this, uh, all, a whole assortment of things. I mean, he was a, <laughs> he was a congressman, competitive figure skater. It goes on Whoa. and on. Yeah, I know, right? Pretty, pretty unusual combo. And I came out here to work at a startup, which was a, a mass data storage startup called TrueSan, a storage area network. So I was trying to sell huge 
uh, server uh, well, server configurations paired with fiber channel storage to DreamWorks and companies that have that type of need. There goes my music. Dance break, dance break, dance, dance break. Now you gotta you gotta sing whatever you were gonna say. And all these data storages <laughs> and megabyte stuff. <laughs> megabyte stuff. <laughs> Should answer this phone call. Fiber up. Hey! Yeah. You know that guy? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, actually, I don't really know him that well. Oh, he's... Yeah. Mr. Kevin Rose has I, I, made a I, telephone I, cameo. I don't think I've ever... I'm not sure if I've ever actually spoken to Kevin Rose. Yeah, yeah he's a good dude. On the phone before, but, uh, but, uh, but... But I came out for Fiber Channel, tech startup, make my billions, because one <laughs> one of the... One of the acquaintances, who was a few years ahead of me, Jared Polis, had sold Blue Mountain mm-hmm. for $600 million to Yahoo or something like that. <laughs> and we were all like... They're doing great now, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> looking at it. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the, the general consensus was, all right, Jared's very smart, but $600 fucking million dollars? All right, like I have to give this a shot. And so, six hundred, six hundred, six hundred. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, not six hundred thousand. Yeah, not six hundred dollars. Six hundred million. So this whole army of grads came out to Silicon Valley right before everything just imploded, and that was mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, and then after that company is when I ended up getting into the sports nutrition stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what took me to the seven to nine p.m. work schedule. I guess four years later. Did you, now as a kid when you had the health problems, are you over, I'm clearly you're over all that stuff now because you're... I still have uh, left lung problems. Really? So, yep. I still have uh, impaired lung capacity to a large extent. The biggest issue with the lung problem and uh, having, I had my blood transfused, I think it was my entire volume of blood four or five times oh when God. I was in the intensive care unit. And my, th- it screwed up. This is my my theory, at least, because I've had I've suffered heat stroke a few times, mm-hmm. and I've had to go to the hospital and so forth. And I think it screwed up my thermostat, like my hypothalamus. So if I go to, let's, I've been to Burning Man twice, and I left early this year because I could just, I, I do not do well in the heat. Wow. And so that's why you stay in San Francisco. That's why I stay in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you travel. You travel a I lot, do. though. I do. I have to be careful about the heat, but I still have some residual problems from wow. that. Now, see if you can get into shape. Yeah. And you have uh, impaired lung uh, capacity. Yeah. There's no excuse for anyone. I would. I. I would hope uh, not. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could explore that. But for so I have really, really horrible endurance mm-hmm. uh, re- related to this and a number of other things. So I'm going to be running an ultra marathon in the next six months, and I've never run even a 5k. The hell's an uh, ultra marathon? That's 52 miles. It's just longer than a marathon. Whatever's longer than a marathon, I'll be miles. doing. Double. I'll be it's doing 20. about. I'll be doing about. I'm not going to be going too crazy. I'm not going to do 100 miles. I'm going to do uh, 30 miles, so about 50k, rough, roughly. Which for me is, which for me is impossible. I mean, that's. I think it's impossible for most people. Yeah. So I want to. I want to try to do it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to let everybody follow my training. So that I'm extremely shamed if I don't do it, <laughs> which is a good way to ensure that I actually take it and seriously. So, so, so that's actually an interesting point. So, do you feel like it's important when you're goal setting to uh, make yourself accountable to someone other than yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's far more effective, I think, than the far more important than the actual method you choose. Whether you are trying to quit smoking, change your work behavior, or lose weight, or gain weight for that matter, I think. If you were to, let's say, use 
an iPhone to take a photograph of your food before you ate it in the case of the gaining or losing weight mm-hmm. and post that publicly and, and post your, your progress on a weekly basis to, let's say, a wiki. These are things that, that readers have done already to a wiki so all of your friends can shit talk and you can shit talk back <laughs> and there's some consequence then the outcomes are always better. If, if I were to split, let's say, 100 people into two groups, you have 50 who are going to follow some very regimented, sophisticated diet. Let's say the zone diet, but a strict zone diet. Mm-hmm. And they have personal trainers, and they're going to be training four hours a week. And then you have the other 50 who are just going to be taking photographs of their food with their iPhone before they eat their food. I would actually vote that the, the iPhone group will have a higher rate of success. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting because they're being held accountable to their to their yeah. little yeah. So and, it's and social. It's like social, uh, like repercussions. Yeah, the repercussions. It's yeah. like because if you have a job and you don't perform your job, you get fucking fired. So in most cases, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty strong incentive not to fuck up. But if you follow a diet and you fail, if if it's only if it's limited to you, there is no real consequence except for some vague future health which doesn't motivate anybody or it's what but what i think i think happens when people future health will have jetpacks <laughs> yeah exactly that's right <laughs> I, I, but, but what i think what i think happens is though is that when people set goals for themselves and then they you know they, they don't make themselves accountable anyone and then they don't they don't achieve those goals i think on a very deep level it just puts another notch in there yeah i guess i'm not ever going to do anything right and so i think it's important to to really try to break, to try to move past that, yeah. Because uh, the you know the more the more times you do that to yourself, the more I think you just sort of set up a pattern of like, yeah, I don't finish things. I mean, I totally used to be that way. Yeah, I also there's so a few things related to this. I would say, the last for the, for the last few years, uh, a friend of mine, another Chris, uh, we we have assigned each other New Year's resolutions. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We've assigned each other New Year's resolutions, and we ha- and we have to, or we come up with our own, but we need approval from the other person <laughs> <laughs> because if it's not if it's not a big enough if it's not a big enough goal, here's the issue. So let's say that I find that bigger goals are actually easier to achieve mm-hmm. for many people, and you can look across literature. There there are ways that you can look at this scientifically, but keeping it simple and let's use a four hour work week example. If your dream goal is like, okay, I'm going to take a week off and go to Florida versus I'm going to take a month off and go to the Mediterranean and sail around mm-hmm. at the first, at the, at the first stumbling block, you will be more likely to quit. If the goal is uh, it, the less inspiring, the goal is, Oh, that's really that interesting. Sense? Yeah. And where, so if people are like, I'm going to try, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, let's say. Okay. First of all, uh, I, I don't think for, for most people that that's, a, a big stretch. It's not enough to really inspire people to go through the suffering that is inevitable whenever right. you're making any type of behavioral change. On the other hand, uh, just uh, met someone two days ago. Their goal was marathon, and then as a and it's a measurable, very measurable, t- uh, timeline-driven goal, which is really important. There's a deadline, and then they lost something like 150 pounds as a result of that performance goal. You always, I, I always have people if they're trying to change uh, body composition have a performance goal and a and a and a body composition goal. So it's mm-hmm. a performance goal and then a appearance goal. Um, so I, th- I think that having someone keep you accountable is the way. As as one example that I overcame my inability to swim. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't swim. I had this acute fear of swimming because of my lung. I had near drowning experiences on a few occasions. Could not swim two laps in a pool without completely panicking, having my heart rate jump to 200, mm-hmm. hated swimming. And I was, uh, 
I was in, where was I? Brazil with this, this Kiwi buddy of mine. And he's an amazing swimmer. His whole family grew up on the water. They're all good at swimming. And he said, look, man, swimming is a life skill, number one. Like, you want to be able to swim with your kids. Number two, it's a survival skill. Uh, your goal, this is before we uh, had this this formal like assigning each other goals. He goes, all right, your, your New Year's resolution is an open water one kilometer swim. Oh, wow. And that's like, okay, all right, fine. If that's my goal, and he's he's like a six, a six double espresso a day kind of guy, I was like, all right, if that's my goal. Your goal is nothing stronger than green tea for a year. Oh, wow. A year? For a year. And he's like, okay, fuck it. You're on. And we, we both we both held up on our on our sides of the bargain. Now, I would imagine quitting the caf- quitting that much caffeine at it's once hard. was really funny. It was really funny. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll laugh at my own, my own stories. That's all right. uh, just to continue <laughs> we from... We do like, it yeah, constantly. So I went, to visit, uh, I went to visit this buddy in Australia at one point. He was living in Sydney. And I heard this horrible noise during the night. I was just like, I thought it was some like cat in an alley having some type of health issue. And <laughs> and it was just this horrifying, like, oh, horrifying noise. And I get up and uh, <laughs> and, I, and later in the, I'm just wandering around the kitchen making my, I'm like, what is that? And I look and there's a, there's a green tea, uh, a green tea pot. <laughs> and there's like five pounds of green tea pressed into oh, this pot. <laughs> and I see my buddy later. He's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I got so sick last night. And I was like, were you, did you like drink tea leaves? Is that what you did to yourself? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you're kind of missing the point of this whole exercise. As he's, as he's yeah. eating a brick of yeah. green tea. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. So it was, it was challenging for both of us. I, I failed multiple times trying to learn to swim and it wasn't until uh, a buddy of mine named Chris Sock introduced me to something called Total Immersion, which is a particular method that I, I clicked and within 10 days fixed. Now, what, what, what are the basic tenets of Total Immersion? The basic Dropping tenets in the of... Water. <laughs> yeah, get in the water. The, the basic tenets of Total Immersion are don't kick harder to fix swimming, which is universally the first suggestion that almost any swimming coach makes. Like, here's your kickboard, go kick. And I would, I would get in there and I'd flail around. I wouldn't even move, which is pretty embarrassing and demoralizing. So don't kick harder. You're actually going to be focusing on, on streamline right, streamline left, which just means swimming on your sides. Mm-hmm. You're not at number one. Number two, you're not trying to swim on top of the water in freestyle because the body's denser than water. You're going to expect that at least 90% of your body is going to be underwater. So when you're swimming, your head is going to be effectively underwater, except for when you breathe. And you focus, instead of pulling, you focus on driving your arm down and in front of you. Okay. It's it's pretty unusual. So it's like if this were the water here, let's just say uh, you're lying on top of the water, that's the straight line, your arm would be angled down almost at 35, 40 degrees below okay. your head, which is very counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But the water pressure on the arm raises your legs up so you're more hydrodynamic. And I went from not being able to do two laps comfortably to doing 40 laps a session in about 10 days. Oh, wow. And without any stress, relaxing. It was just insane how quickly the change... I don't want to be a dork about this, but I think there's a good metaphor there. There's definitely a good metaphor about how, you know, when you feel like you're under pressure, your your kind of panic reaction is, mm-hmm. ah, like to fight, 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 yeah. fight harder, yeah. rather than just to like, okay, I'm going to let myself fall into this and then just figure out how to, oh, yeah. how to, how to, how to glide through it. Oh, absolutely. And one of the other recommendations of total immersion, and I think this applies to a lot of things, is don't, don't try to work out. The goal is not to work out. The goal is to practice. Mm-hmm. And those are two very different mindsets. Like the, the goal isn't to exert yourself so you get out of the pool with your heart beating 
at this at at some insane rate the goal is to get out of the pool having performed a certain task with as little effort as possible and uh, I, I, I thought that was also just philosophically and practically really helpful almost meditation that transferred to a lot of other areas yeah it is interesting to you know I think that I think specific really specific good goal setting language in your head is very is very very important uh, whereas and I'm sure I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but I but I have a trainer whose goal is, you know, you have to leave feeling better than when you came in, right? Which is a slightly different goal than I'm going to crush you every time you come in. Yeah. And ultimately, the result is still the same. I'm exercising and yeah. and working out, but I'm just a little more into you know. It's a little more. He calls them uh, pro you decisions, yeah. As a, <laughs> which is like really, which is really kind of what they are. It's very affirming, you know. Yeah. They're pro they're pro you decisions, so you don't have to fucking you don't have to torture yourself, yeah. you know. Well, really early on when I was doing a lot of the, the physical experimentation, I trained a few of my friends. This is when I was still in college, because I had some I had some I had some pretty phenomenal results with gaining muscle and so forth in college, and but I was very early on in looking at the the behavioral change side of things and i would i would bring my friends in i'd be like okay i'm gonna train you and i would just destroy them (laughs) just like they'd be like oh my god i can't walk i feel oh jesus i'm like all right well you have two days so eat up and everybody dropped out because i would just like they'd be like i haven't worked out in two years i'm like no problem i'm gonna make you tough and just like destroy them and i've i've completely reversed that approach because the little changes are what last. And so you, and if you try to have someone change more than one behavior at a time, let's yes. say if you, if you have, if you're trying to teach people over the age of 50, let's say quit smoking by texting, fail because there, those are two new behaviors. Mm-hmm. If you try to fix exercise and diet at the same time, fail mm-hmm. all the time. And instead, like my dad, to use my dad as an example, he was 250 at 5'6", uh, roughly. When we, well, I mean, he was exactly 5'6", but roughly 250. Right. He didn't, his height didn't change much. Uh, and he, was, he would go between 5'4 and 5'7". Yeah, he lost ultimately more than 90 pounds of fat and gained 20 to 30 pounds of muscle. It started with uh, primarily eating 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking up. That was the change. I was like, I want you to focus on this one change. Mm-hmm. That's it. You don't have to fix the rest of your diet. You don't have to fix your exercise. Forget about all that stuff. Just fix your breakfast. You can't postpone breakfast. It can't be coffee in the breakfast an hour later. 30 grams within 30 minutes of waking up. So he simply used a myoplex shake to do that. And he went from uh, five pounds. We'd already made a few tiny changes, but layered it one at a time. He went from five pounds of average fat loss per month to 18.75 pounds after that one change. And those are the changes that last because you get this tremendous amount of positive feedback and you're like, shit, that was easy. Mm-hmm. And that's what you, that's how people need to respond to those initial steps. Wow, that wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that, uh, I mean, one of the things in the book I'm writing is all about incremental change and about yeah. how, you know, when someone decides like, okay, I'm going to get into shape, I'm going to start working out and they try to tackle it, you know, four or five days a week. Yeah. It's like, no, go one hour a week. Yeah. Because what will happen is after a few weeks, you'll start to feel better and yeah. you'll go, well, why don't I just do two hours a week? I mean, yeah. It's kind of like what we did on this podcast. We, start, we, we started at one episode a week yeah. feeling like, oh, one hour a week, we can cover that. 
And then once we sort of figured that out and realized it was kind of fun, we're like, oh, you know, doing an extra hour a week's not that big a deal, so yeah. let's just do two. Yeah. So you know, it's you're you know, I I agree with you a hundred percent that the the incremental change is really is absolutely the way to go, rather than trying to. It's just too overwhelming to try yeah. to change everything at once. Yeah, I also think that it's important. It can be helpful to try to strike a balance between or a combination of. Very high goals, very big goals, but very low expectations. So your your long-term goal is something big, like running a marathon. Uh, your short-term goal is, I'm going to go into the gym and 10 minutes twice a week. Mm-hmm. That's it, literally. Like 10 minutes twice a week. That's it. I get on the treadmill for 10 minutes. If I walk, fine, whatever. If you go in and you do, you decide, you know, I'm going to keep on going, and you do 30 minutes or an hour, that's fine. But in order to win, to have that early win, mm-hmm. all you need to do, since you've set the expectation that it's 10 minutes, is satisfy those 10 minutes. Absolutely, and your brain will register that as yeah. as a positive as as positive reinforcement. You'll yeah. you get to you get to sort of check that box in your head and go, hey, I did it. I you know I achieved because I, I don't yeah, I don't think your brain necessarily quantifies things. In that way, it just knows that you intended to go do something and you did it, yeah. and that's a success. Yeah, and there are people who have, who have studied this stuff really methodically, like BJ Fogg at Stanford, at their Persuasion Lab. Uh, it's 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 really well established. And so my mistake for a long time was thinking that it was all about the method. I have the perfect method. Here you go. And the perfect method doesn't do you any good if you quit it in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Which is why, let's say you look at the at something like Atkins. Atkins is really effective for fat loss. The problem is uh, people will travel or they'll have a holiday and they will break that diet and then say, fuck, I broke my diet. Okay, well, I might as well just pick it up in a week. And then they regain X amount of weight. Then they attribute the failure to the diet and then they go back to square one. Whereas if you make a slight tweak to that, I mean, we can talk about the, <laughs> the slow-carb diet later. Oh, yes. But uh, if, if you make a slight tweak to that, like adding in legumes and beans and then you have one cheat day a week, like today's my cheat day, hence the chocolate croissants and mm-hmm. everything else, uh, it's sustainable. And uh, so like the, the approach that gets you 80% of the results but can be sustained for years at a time is much better than the, the approach that gets you 100% of the results but has a 90% dropout rate. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think I think people we do kind of have an all or nothing. It's very because it, because you know the gray area is very difficult to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Like, well, you know, like we we are in this sort of hundred percent society uh, mindset, but like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to get a B sometimes. Yeah, getting a B is better than getting an F. Yeah. So you know, go a little easier on yourself. Yeah, I think as long as you're directionally moving in the right direction. That was the Department of Redundancy Department, but (laughs) (laughs) Chinese women in China. (laughs) No, I actually, I I I appreciated that clarification. Over the podcast, it's not. If you're moving directionally, positively, that's what's important. So the people get depressed, like, oh my god, I just measured my body fat and I'm thirty percent. I don't give a fuck if it's thirty percent. I actually don't give a fuck if that thirty percent is accurate. As long as it's consistently accurate or inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you go from 30 to 27, it might in actuality be 34 to whatever. It doesn't matter. As long as you know the direction you're headed. Mm-hmm. So, Well, because we all try. I, I, you, when I had dinner with you eight months or whenever it was eight months ago and you said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm turning in the final draft of my this new book that I'm writing and – you know, it's uh, I, I did all these weird experiments on myself, and, and some of them almost killed me. And yes. this has been a really intense experience. You were talking about four-hour body, mm-hmm. and um, 
and then I didn't, I hadn't heard anything about it. And then I, uh, I was, I was at the, this gym that I go to sometimes and I was talking to a guy there and, and he mentioned your book. He was like, I'm so excited to, you know, like next month that Tim Ferriss' new book. And I, I didn't bring you up first. Yeah. He, we were just talking about, you know, programs and stuff. And, and he said, I'm so excited, you know, this, this Tim, new Tim Ferriss book is coming out. I'm like, oh, the body book? And he was like, yes. Do you know about it? I'm like, yes, of course. I, yes, of course. And so, uh, so you, sent, you sent me the book. And, uh, but I, I, just, I just bought it on the iPad because I was traveling at the time. And uh, I, I started doing it, and my girlfriend started doing it, and I and I blabbed about it to these guys, so they so they started doing it, and uh, um, I, fe- I I enjoyed I enjoyed the program, I enjoyed the cheat day because I feel like if you're just sort of passively eating shit every day, yeah. you don't even appreciate it. You're yeah. just fucking shoving shit in your maw. <laughs> but when you can, but when you know, like, oh, Saturday's the day that I can eat whatever I want, yeah. you get. You really, really appreciate it as yeah. m- as much as possible. Yeah. So I just I think we should start. I want to start with Jonah because Jonah <laughs> jo- Jonah did the uh, the piecemeal. Yeah, almost, almost like yeah, I, uh, yeah. I walked down uh, I walked down Market Street and then I just uh, I heard a couple of people talking about stuff. So I just kind of assembled the thing and then that was the yeah. Program I mean, there was there was just a. Uh... I like I had a like a, a date where I wanted to lose like just some weight by yeah. and uh, you know I had I had, uh, I had started <laughs> working out again and because uh, I got to a point where I just I didn't have the time or the brain capacity to work right. out and then like I was like no I got to fucking force myself so I started doing that and I was like you know I also got to do a diet so Chris mentioned that thing so I kind of looked it up but like I was like oh. Yeah, that'll do. That's uh, this information. Not a lot of carbs, beans, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and then I, uh, and then like, and the thing that I've always had problems with is the uh, five small meals because yeah. like uh, I, I find myself like running around all day trying to yeah. do stuff and like to stop and eat yeah. is never really something I think about. Yeah. It's like you know, I just I, I have like a banana. And a coffee in the morning, and then uh, around two o'clock in the afternoon, I have a way too big of a meal, and then want to take a nap, and then like, and then like it gets to be about nine thirty at night. I'm like, oh fuck, I forgot about dinner, and then I have like you know a burrito or something. Uh, and that's pretty much the way it was, it was going. And so when I started with the um, the small meals and like all the meat, and then like I would I was stressing out about what I could have and couldn't have, yeah. and uh, you know just uh, realizing that. Like I was just like I was just eating meat all the time, and I started feeling really like just really salty, like really salty. He had this, like, he had this glaze in a literal in a literal sense. Yeah, like literally, like, I, I, felt, I felt like dried up and you like were my curing friend, yourself. Yeah, I know. And all these different people tell me stuff. Like my friend Paul Banana was just like, "It's like oh, it's kind of like the paleo diet. You should do this." I'm like, "Oh, all right." And then like this guy is like, "Well, it's kind of like this. Do that." And so I started getting all these other things, and like I remember I got food with my friend Boyd. And like it's like they put down uh, fruit, and then you know, in your diet you can't eat fruit, yeah. which is fucking retarded sounding to me because it's fruit is from the earth. It's, right. It's so, right, right, of course, it's, it's nature's candy. It should be delighted. <laughs> <It's nature's- laughs> which like I, I never appreciated until like I just like I went to a place and I got like an egg white omelet, and they put down this fruit, and it had, had you know it had everything, it had melons and blueberries and a kiwi and strawberry, and I was just I was like, oh, and he just grabs, it. he's like, you can't have that, and I'm just like, <laughs> wait, who's this? My friend Boyd, <laughs> go Boyd, yeah. <laughs> He just grabbed it and put it across the table. <laughs> and I probably would have grabbed it back, but I was so weak and weird from this whole diet that I was like, ah, ah, that is a huh? And then uh And then like yeah, so I and I was working out and like, you know, there was these there's like you said, there was I was just doing too many changes. Yeah, yeah. And like um 
and stressed about it. Like, like not only like it was like work stressing me out, but just this diet. And like yeah. it was all I could think about. And my girlfriend, she's like, you know, I'll do it with you. And all we talked about online at work all day, like, you know, yeah. IMing back and forth was food. We talked about food and it's like, ah, oh, fuck, you remember, remember the, uh, Remember those donuts from, you know, like, that place down the street? You remember the chai latte shake from Cafe 101? There was just, like, all these things that we just <laughs> fantasize and wake up. And then, like, you know, I get up in the morning and I love sleeping in. But then, yeah. like, I would just be like, oh, fuck, I got to get up and eat. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just everything everything about it was fucking up my day and my life. And I was, like, I was constantly talking to these guys just like, I don't, I don't think I Oh, I couldn't form words. So I was just like, you were like a know. weird zombie. Yeah, it was really weird. And like, you know, my mind's racing and it's yeah. just like, uh, I feel dry and I was trying to drink water and yeah. like, I just, I didn't, like, it felt weird. It felt Salt, like I was. Salty's not a good feeling. Yeah. Like, uh, and then leading up to it. Your like, sodium intake is probably like 8,000. Yeah, it was probably, and then like, my, and like, it's like, and I'm eating like, you know, like, you know, like, I love red meat, but I also love chicken and everything like that. But Grass like, fed. You know, yeah. Grass fed chicken? Meat, grass-fed meat. Yeah, but like, um, I was just you know getting to a point where it was just too, it was getting too much, yeah. and uh, and like my my girlfriend she's like maybe not as much meat as we've been eating. I'm like, what the fuck else am I going to eat on this thing <laughs> besides meat? There's nothing else. Well, well, I got to yeah. fucking refried beans again, <laughs> like, like black refried beans. Um, <laughs> Which is like was, and then uh, and, and then, that's when you develop a taste for human meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I wish. Um, but then, like you know, very salty. I, don't know why. I fantasize <laughs> about gamey. that. I bet it's awesome. Um, I bet it's gamey. You I think? bet human meat's gamey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then I get to a, I get to a point, and then like um, a Saturday rolls around, and like I'm just out of it. I'm like, I gotta go to the gym. I don't feel like going to that place right now and seeing those guys, you know, working out. Like I just need to. Like, so I'll work out with my friend Ed, who's a very fit guy, very mm-hmm. in shape. And he starts making me do these, like, you know, sprint lunges, like, oh, straight God. up this hill. Sounds good when you're hypoglycemic. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and, like I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know if this is good for me right now. And he's like, come on. I was like, no, you work out all the time. I don't. Like, you know, I don't. This is not what I do. He's like, you can keep up. And he's, like, insanely winded from these. And imagine how I am. <laughs> Sounds like he trains people like I used to train them. That's exactly what I was thinking about when you were talking about your friends. And, like, he's, he's like, come on. You can fucking do it. I'm like, no, stop yelling. Also, during this thing, I felt like I was on the. Every time I was by myself, I felt like I was on the verge of tears. Not because I was sad, but like my body would just be like, <laughs> like it would just make me. Why everything are you was doing wrong. this to me? Yeah, I need to transcribe this and put this on the back of my book. And <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then, like you know, and then I have uh, I have like uh, chicken for lunch after I work out, and then I had uh, beef from this barbecue place, uh, and. Um, and then that night, I think it was just a culmination of this like this diet that I was fucking up. You're like, oh, your perfect plan just ruined by me. Your your, your diet utopia <laughs> fucking sullied by my fucking. But don't you? But my 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 guess, and I might be wrong yeah. because you know much more about this than I do. My guess for you was that you weren't eating enough vegetable carbs, that yeah. you weren't fueling your body enough. Because in the past, I tried to just eat meat and nothing else before, like that crazy Atkinsy yeah. thing. And I always felt sick and, yeah. and out of it, just like you do. Because, you you know, your carbs are your fuel. And so if you're not getting that through your vegetables, then you're, you're just going to be tapped out. Especially if you're working out like you were. Yeah, I, I thought I was. I thought, like, you know, like I just fucking dust entire bags of celery and, and carrots. <laughs> yeah. Which do nothing but make you fantasize about food 
that's good. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, like I don't, I don't recommend the celery and carrot bags. Yeah, no, yeah. It's just, they're pointless. They're pointless <laughs> things. They they should only be given to people trying to quit smoking to do something with right. their hands and mouth. They do nothing for your body or your fucking stomach. It just makes you uh, like fantasize more about food. That would be yeah. good to eat. So what did, what 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 was his what, main? What, what was would be my diagnosis? Yeah. Well, I would say that. Let's say you go out and buy a bottle of aspirin, and instead of having two aspirin, you eat half a bottle of aspirin. It's important <laughs> Is not that to, bad too. It's important to not blame the aspirin in that case. Uh, <laughs> I would say there. We're lazy. We would blame the aspirin. No, no, I would say so. I'd say a few things. the The multiple small meals uh, is something that has been has infected the recommendations I made. I, I actually don't really do that. I, I have pretty big meals. Uh, so that's I'll, great. Eating yeah, is yeah. awesome. I love the the diet is not intended to be punishment. Uh, it's actually intended to be very uh, sustainable. So I have I have three or four big meals a day. Well, the where I would have started was just changing breakfast. That's it. And yeah. then doing the rest of the stuff as as you were. The biggest the probably the biggest mistake that people make when they're doing this is rather than eating Lots of dense uh, vegetables, whether that's lentils or like asparagus, broccoli, etc. They're they're doing leafy vegetables plus like a chicken breast, and especially for anyone who's active or on the bigger side, you're gonna feel fucking miserable mm-hmm. if you don't get enough food. You're gonna yeah. feel terrible because what happens is your body's not quite burning fat effectively. It's still using carbs, but you're not getting any carbs, so you just feel like you're starving all the time. It's yeah. not a good feeling. Yeah. And you get really, really foggy. So uh, you end up on this diet actually eating not necessarily bags of celery, which sounds horrible. Yeah, it's the worst. Uh, <laughs> it's a pointless thing. <laughs> uh, but eating, you do eat more volume because if you go from, let's say, having a chicken breast and a baked potato, let's say the baked potato is 300 calories, just uh, hypothetically, it's somewhere around there, to leafy vegetables, you just dropped your total meal calories by 200, yeah. 250, you are going to be hungry and feel really horrible. Uh, but yeah, fixing breakfast, I, I usually start people off if they're just going from, especially if they're they're starting from ground zero, meaning they, they haven't been exercising, they haven't really been watching the diet, I would start people with get rid of, let's say, dairy. Uh, just just get rid of milk even. Like you can do cream because it has lower lactose. Mm-hmm cottage cheese if you like that kind of thing I don't particularly like cottage cheese I love it okay well then that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but I don't drink straight up milk yeah, yeah. and I, I, I've been I've been training myself to enjoy black coffee more. Yeah, yeah yeah so if, if you just made the switch take the milk out of your coffee check this out it's amazing uh, to me at least it's astonishing it's maybe a better word it, with, so we tracked hundreds of people doing this and we noticed even if they made I said eliminate milk and they said well all I'm having is a little bit of milk in my coffee and I have two cups of coffee a day. And I said, all right, eliminate that and replace it with cinnamon. Just like put some cinnamon in to flavor it. If you want to put in some like that's a little fine. bit of cream, that's, that's fine. fine. And uh, <laughs> if you do that, we, we, we saw consistently an additional two to four pounds of fat loss a week just by making that one swap. See, that's my biggest, my right. biggest addiction is, uh, okay. that my literally that's only addiction I have left is, is a chai latte. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if I, if I have two or three of those a day because I'm yeah. running around so much, yeah. I mean, that's not only like 30 grams of sugar per thing, but it's yeah. also, it's mostly milk. Yeah. And the issue there is not only are you getting the sugar, but the milk, not, I don't want to get like super crazy about the te- technicalities, but milk is is tricky because on what's called a glycemic index, so the mm-hmm. amount that it affects your blood sugar, 
it's it can be relatively low. But there's a separate index that people don't really talk about much, which is, which is called an insulinemic index. All that means is when you drink milk, even a little bit, it makes your insulin skyrocket as if you injected yourself with insulin. And if you combine that with, let's say, the sugar in a chai latte, well, boy, I mean, that is the recipe. If I wanted to make lab rats fat, that's what I would do. The rats, those, they're greedy. They love the their chai latte. Just had this weird, chai like, I want to be a villain. No one's had fat rats. So <laughs> I want to be that guy. The t- Tim is a guy who uh, had a... Uh, had you you put had an insulin monitor? Yeah, I had an implant. I might even have another one here that I could show you. But I actually, yeah, right at this table, I have a video of me implanting a glucose monitor in my side to watch this stuff. And a lot of it's very counterintuitive. So even if you're going to have a binge day, let's say, so the devil. I mean, the the. the it's really important to read the full program. <laughs> no, no, I am clear. Like, please, everybody yeah. listening, yeah. Um, I've seen it work. I've seen your program work. D- just buy the book and don't suffer the same fate. Yeah, as I me. mean, it's it's thirteen ninety eight at the moment on Amazon, and it is the second most expensive uh, expense in in the average lifespan in, in in the U.S. I've heard, but like for the thirteen bucks, just please read the details or. No, don't go online because it's it's full of everyone who has a strong opinion about it. Yeah, but uh, the uh, if you have let's say binge day, so today is my off day, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have chocolate croissants. I'll probably have a pizza later, wild nettle pizza which, with egg on top, which is fucking amazing. Yes, probably have an affogato, which is like the espresso mm-hmm. with ice cream, delicious. I love that stuff. And I will. I had some fresh squeezed grapefruit juice just before I came to meet with you guys because what I saw by having this this implant in my side was that if I had some grapefruit juice, uh, like a glass of grapefruit juice before my binge started, mm-hmm. it kept my blood sugar stable, and wow. which is fascinating. Now, does that mean that you want to have the grapefruit juice every day? No, because the answer also is that the, the sugar, and this is why the fruit comes into it, the, the fruit in the United States or that's imported is designed, I mean, it's engineered to have as much fructose, this fruit sugar, mm-hmm. as possible which is converted preferentially by the liver into fat. It's just, it's like the most effective sugar to convert into fat for the most part. Uh, so you don't want to have it every day, but on your binge day, it's really helpful insurance. And it's just like, just knowing that, it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to have a little bit of grapefruit juice, like with my coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not combined, but uh, <laughs> it's just, the wording's oh, important with the recommendations. <laughs> don't combine them. Uh, really effective for minimizing fat gain if you're going to have an off day like on Christmas or whatever mm-hmm. um, really really effective so what was the stuff that you had your dad doing in the morning like what was he he used to, was it was like a shake or something? so I knew that my dad like me is if I say wake up cook eggs and have spinach and he's not going to do it and, yeah. I, I, and if I'm running around or I'm booked deadline I'm probably not going to do it either yeah because sometimes <laughs> like you know like I get up in the morning and then just I, I have enough time to get ready and go to work. Yeah. So what I would do with my, my dad used a myoplex shake, which has a lot of preservatives and garbage in it, but it tastes pretty good. So it's like, look, it doesn't have to be perfect in the beginning. I want you to start this behavior. And then once it's second nature to you, all right, a month later, we can go to unflavored whey protein, which kind of tastes like ass, but it's better for you. (laughs) Like we'll go there later, but I'll start with the stuff that has some preservatives and all that shit in it. I don't care. Like a month isn't going to kill you. And uh, so I would just go get ready to drink Myoplex, which are 40 grams of protein or something. And you just keep those in the refrigerator. You wake up. First thing, you pop one open. Sh- or no. You don't pop it open and then shake it. Shake it. <laughs> you shake pop it. Pop it open. Pretty, shake it around. Tell yourself pretty, off, pretty, open another Yeah, and one. pretty awesome yeah. to have a slow motion yeah, yeah, replay of that. But <laughs> <laughs> a really healthy <laughs> hip-hop video. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> 
So, hey, just it takes 30 seconds, and that's yeah. that's your 30 grams. And so, Myoplex, is that like a SlimFast type of... Uh... It's uh, it's an EAS product it, used mostly by, or was used mostly by athletes, just a protein shake. Okay. Uh, I would not recommend muscle milk for a host of reasons, but if you can get a Myoplex or something that just ha- doesn't have as much crap in terms of fillers in it, the easy thing is just get just get a Myoplex. It tastes pretty good. Yeah. And, and stick with that for a month, and then after that, you can do something else. Okay. But that's what I had my dad start with. And he lost... Uh... 18, yeah, nine, almost 20 pounds in the first month. Without doing anything else. That was the only change that he made. Uh, now, once, 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 so for people who really want to lose, let's say, 20 or 30 pounds or more, I say start with the diet first because exercise, quite frankly, does not burn a lot of fat. It just doesn't. And if you want to lose fat, focus on the diet. Do that for four to eight weeks until you're like, oh, this is easy because you have your default meals. Just like everyone has default meals. When I tell people, look, you want to rotate the same few meals in the beginning, they're like, oh my God, that sounds so boring. There's no variety. I'm like, what have you had for breakfast for the last week? Tell me. And they're like, well, I woke up and I had this. And then I had the same thing the next day. And then I had the same thing the next day. I'm like, look, you're just just having another set of boring meals. I don't know. Uh, Cocoa Puffs does not get boring. Yeah. Cocoa Puffs, uh, chocolate-covered sugar bombs. They are are delicious, unfortunately. Yes. But uh, I would say that starting off with a diet and then you can bring in the exercise later is really effective because – and this is where the magic of data comes in. Because we track so many people and this I think is one of one of the big differentiators between this book and, and a lot of the books that, that have come out in the past where it's sort of like opinion but I have one citation. This mm-hmm. works. It worked for me. Instead of doing that, I'm like, all right, we looked at a few hundred people and almost everybody plateaus between weeks like 10 and 12. And they get really demoralized. And if you don't know that's coming, you'll quit. Mm -hmm. Or a lot of people will quit. Instead, I'm like, look, hold off on the exercise. Focus on the diet. You're going to plateau around week 10. Add in the exercise and then, boom, you kill your plateau. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it works. It works really well. And you, Matt, did you, have you been, are you still doing the slow carb day? Uh, well, I stopped. I got sick uh, this week. So I kind of stopped this week. Mm-hmm. But I'll pick it back up again. It was like a cold day. Yeah, it was like a gnarly cold. And everyone's was, had something. Yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone had something that was going around. Floored me, and then I. Everyone, everyone's been doing that thing where they'll uh, taking so much Robitussin. I was like, well, you know, everyone, everyone <laughs> Robitussin slow carb. You're smart. <laughs> <You're smoking. laughs> everyone, I've been feeling like a lot of people doing that thing this week where they'll you shake their hand and then you go, hey, how's it going? They go, yeah, I'm sick. I'm like, you just touched me. Yeah. Yeah. The fuck I, did you do that? I told you guys before. Yeah. I would shake anybody's hand. I would say that I was sick. But anyway, no, yeah, uh, breakfast I found to be the easiest thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't easy. mind waking up. Because I just sausage. I'll make egg whites and turkey sausage and cottage cheese. Yeah. That's my breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good breakfast. But uh, I'm fucking tired of Chipotle and their yeah. goddamn bowls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can get. A, and I think what I may do pretty soon is just track what I do when I go out to eat because yeah. I can go to a French restaurant and change pretty much nothing. I mean, the only thing I'll do is if they bring the bread basket over, like, nah, no, no bread. Yeah. Yeah. I ask you this. Yeah. How bad is Splenda? Because I do like... Okay, Splenda yeah. It's funny you should say yeah, that. It tastes I, like sugar because it's made from sugar. I just put out a tweet. Uh, well, I scheduled a tweet last night to go out today. Look at this guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, which, which referred to Splenda because there was a... Con- I, I, in, in the book, I talk about how Splenda <coughs> and Correct. the Splenda lobby uh, has flipped out about this, but I read not, not too surprisingly. Like I read this. Yes. <laughs> so how it, how it negatively affects your, yep. your digestive bacteria. And multiple examples, someone just put up, up uh, a comment on the blog and they said, I thought I was doing everything right, but I like sweetening my, my coffee with Splenda. Mm. Switched from that to, uh, I think it was just saccharin, 
and immediately started losing weight. So, saccharin being sweet and low. Saccharin being the the uh, pink packets. I yeah. believe that's yeah, I believe that sweet and low might be aspartame. I would stay away from aspartame. But okay. if you, what about if it, stevia? Stevia. So I would say. It's it's better than the other options. The right. problem is with commercial brands of stevia, they're almost always cut with something else. They're very oh. tricky about it. Hmm. So they'll say, "Oh yeah, it's a stevia product," and they're like, "Oh, but we we did put in a little maltodextrin, and oh, uh, but we did put in a little and just a just to make it taste better, just a little bit, just a little bit of cocaine, because every, bit. everybody needs a little. Yeah, come on, a little pick. Oh, actually, let me ask you about um about. You drink the, the worst one. I, oh. I I know. Yes, I do drink. Yes. Uh, if if that weren't clear from my my bullet bourbon bottle full of water, <laughs> I realized I was, yeah. like, I was like, that's a great idea for a water bottle. Uh, but uh, the 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 worst sweetener that I think you could use, besides pure high fructose corn syrup, would be agave nectar, which people view as very healthy. Yeah. Stay away from agave nectar. It's almost pure fructose. Okay. Uh, drinking. Yes. Um, I'm a I'm a large. Drinker, uh, <laughs> I'm a fan of it. I, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, but I was like, but I know the, the the standard stay away from beer. Yeah, because it's just bread. Yeah, uh, which is which is tough. But yeah. um, what do you what do you go for? Do you just do straight up booze and on the rocks? What kind of uh, are, there, yeah. are there certain boozes like it's like you know more of like red wine? If you read the book, you would know. <laughs> I like I like red wine. There are drier wines and others. I I will also I do like bullet bourbon. I do like others. The more you drink, the less fat you lose. I mean, that's pretty straightforward because the liver is really important for fat loss. Yeah. But let's just say you're going to drink anyway. What are the better options? The better options would be something like a dry red wine, uh, or you could do something like what's called a NorCal Margarita, which is uh, it's actually really tasty and it gets you drunk. Really quickly. I'm listening. Yeah. So it's like not only are you a cheaper date, but uh, <laughs> there's less of a hangover. It's, it's a pretty clean hangover as well. What is this magic you speak what is of? This, what is this magical elixir? <laughs> what, what Merlin? <laughs> Need I visit? This is called the Merlin Margarita. <laughs> that's actually that's not a bad idea. NorCal, it's, it's, it's clumsy. But uh, this is a Rob Wolf invention. He's, he's also he's a paleo guy. And... It is the juice of five limes. This sounds like a potion already. Yeah, and it, <laughs> the juice of five limes it's, and a newt tongue. I know, I know exactly. The eyelash of a bald eagle. You swing a dead cat over your head at midnight. <laughs> five times clockwise, four times anti-clockwise. Oh, and, I just reanimated the dead. Yeah, oh, I was trying to do so, get drunk really so, five times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ah, shit. Yeah, yeah, so you got to read the instructions, just like the slow carb. So <laughs> you, you put in the juice of five, li- five limes, splash of soda, and a high grade tequila. That's it. And yeah. it's it's a it's a good drink. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a simple drink. Yeah. The lime juice will lower the impact that that has on your your blood sugar, if any. Oh. All right. The carbonation will get you drunk faster. Mm-hmm. And it's a great drink. I mean, you could yeah, have you could have four or five of those, and you'll. Well, I don't know what your tolerance is. Maybe you're more of a professional. Uh, I, my tolerance is decent. I do drink, yeah. but if you have three or four of those in a short time span, you are done. Like you're 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 satis- you're satisfied with your state of, of drunkenness cool. at that the point. Slow carbs for loco. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the NorCal, anything on the rocks is, is just about fine. Just about yeah. Just yeah. Good. As long as there aren't mixers. Uh, if you're going to be using anything like a Midori, it's going to cause problems. Yeah. But if you're sticking to, I mean, I have I have some rum. I have rum here. I have uh, you know I have tequila. I don't. I, I usually save those for the cheat day. Yeah, and cheat day all all goes. I mean, you could have 
You could have as much beer as you want. Let's do this sugar free Jello. No good. So, okay, so sugar free Jello. Uh, no, 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 these are good these questions. Are things I need. To yeah, know. yeah, no. So, so sugar free <laughs> Jello. I can drive myself crazy. So the 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 best thing you can do is use the least damaging alternative, mm. right? So <laughs> I view diets like harm reduction. You know, so I have a friend who does. She's on this. She uh, she's an advisor on the sex hotline and people call up and they're like, look, I'm, I have this weird fetish and I do all these damaging things and she knows they're not going to change their behavior. She's like, all right, well, let's just do harm reduction. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a valuable... Smaller heels when they step you, on your balls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just, yeah, more surface area. Yeah. Use the platform shoes instead of the stilettos. Yeah. So, uh, in this particular case, if that will prevent you from binging on other things late at night, then go for it. Yeah. I used sugar-free Jello when I was on really strict... Atkins-like diet, yeah. something called the cyclical ketogenic diet, which is a... It's not a, rolling off the tongue like Atkins. Not, not yeah. as... Tra- yeah, the branding is not yeah, as strong. He died of a heart attack. That's uh, the, uh, so I would say it's fine. It, the, the, <coughs> like the, let's say, Splenda or yeah. shots, the more you have, the less fat you lose. But yeah. if you're still directionally move, moving in the right direction, yeah. who the fuck cares? It's fine. Yeah, yeah. so the, I, I've used it. Um, what I would say Let's is... say you have a sweet craving. Yeah, yeah. What do yeah. you do? I would have... Yeah, sugar-free jello would, would not be a bad option. Yeah. Because it's it's also... It's not that dense. Yeah. Uh, it would be better than having 30 ounces of Diet Coke, for example. Right. I, I I am a complete Diet Coke whore, as you yeah. may know yeah. from the book. Uh, well, my mom is insane about Diet Coke. Yeah. She just yeah, yeah. can't... I don't really... The only I only drink water and and chai lattes. And, yeah. and I've tried to start... Moving over to you know, I've been sort of substituting green tea for yep. some for some of the chai lattes because yeah. coffee makes me sick to my stomach. I yeah. can't I can't drink it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though I should, I should so try yerba mate. Yerba mate. That is, if you want to talk about that an amazing elixir, that is my favorite stimulant beverage of choice. Would be yerba mate. Yeah, it, amazing. Does, does it? It doesn't send you into the fucking panic attack clouds because it no. makes your heart beat so fast. Does it? No. No, I have other things for that. Okay, <laughs> no, man, it's a melon. But, uh, yeah, it's a but, but the uh, with the for the sweet cravings, yeah. uh, they're actually I have a very very good recommendation. Uh, branch, there's something called branch chain amino acids. Okay, uh, they're not expensive. BCAAs. Um, I use a brand called Dimatize. They're not expensive. You get them on Amazon or any GNC. And what's amazing, they're usually used for weight training. But what's really cool about branch chain amino acids is if you take a handful of these or, or a couple of these throughout the day, let's say at each meal, it, it, your body can convert it into just enough glucose to satisfy the sugar cravings, but not, but no more. It's really pretty amazing. So for for people who have sugar cravings, this is particularly problematic, um, very problematic for women. Uh, the branched chain amino acids are are pretty amazing, and that was that was actually a recommendation that I, I've borrowed from a guy named Art Devaney, Arthur mm-hmm. Devaney, who's I believe he's a professor of like probabilistic mathematics at UC Irvine. The guy's very smart; he's seventy something, can still run. It's like a five point or he, I think he actually said four point four, which I find hard to believe. But forty yard dash. The guy is amazing. Like he looks like a Greek. Statue. He's not a crazy vegetarian or anything. No, 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 no. He's he's basically he's basically a paleo guy, uh, but uh, his recommendation for the sugar cravings was the, the branched chain amino acids, and they will also help with fat loss in other ways. So I would say if if you use those and then that failing the sugar free jello, yeah. uh, the other thing is just to have a really uh, really big meal. Uh, 
as your as your dinner meal yeah. that has you know plenty of good fat and uh, that will usually stave off some of the some of the the sweet tooth behavior because there's there's physiological then there's a the psychological and the psychological I didn't have a sweet tooth until yeah. I tried this fucking diet. Uh, yeah, well once you take it out that's when you realize like, whoa. Yeah. I yeah. need a cinnamon roll. Yeah. For this business. Yeah, yeah, the breast chain amino acids are really helpful for And that. then on my cheat day I was like, perfect. Gonna go get a cinnamon roll. Yeah. Had one. Boom, started sweating immediately. I was like, <laughs> Sugar. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. The first cheat day. We meet again. Yeah, yeah. the first cheat day is a little uh yeah. little, little rough, but uh, I, but rough. I uh you know, I I just I I sometimes I think about Oh, maybe I'll just be a vegetarian because I feel like I know enough vegetarians who are older <laughs> and they look fantastic. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. I would also say with with uh, my my diet is probably by volume sixty seventy percent vegetables, mm-hmm. which is actually more in, if we're looking at actual nutrient dense vegetables than many vegetarians. Sure. We treat potato chips and uh, French fries Spanish and vegetables. olives. Can I have Spanish olives? Yes. Good. I think this is a good. Uh, I think this is good because you know a lot of people listen to this podcast. And maybe some of them are struggling with weight issues. So I think the lesson here is um, whether or not you get Tim's book, The Four Hour Body, which I recommend that you get. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. On the, I, I read it. I got it on the Kindle app for my yeah. iPad. It's lighter on the Kindle. It is a little lighter on the Kindle. <laughs> uh, but 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 I would but but I would say if anyone's struggling, then you know, and I guess this is something what we took away for for, for Jonah is. Is just change one thing, like yeah. just just change your breakfast. Yeah, thirty, and try, 30 and try grams. That. Yeah, and 30 try that grams. for a while, and then don't you don't have to change anything else, and just see see if you notice a difference. These, yeah. uh, I, I will say, these pants are a lot looser than the last time I wore them because I like to wear shorts in Los Angeles, but apparently San Francisco you can't do that. It's a little cold. <laughs> uh, it's a little it's cold up here. But uh, yeah, and I think the breakfast helped because that's what I eat for breakfast now is egg whites and. Yeah. Uh, Turkey sausage and yeah. cottage cheese. Yeah, me too. I, I I've been going. To, I've been getting breakfast at the one on one cafe and, and uh, egg white omelet. Yeah, I get an egg white omelet with spinach and mushrooms, mm-hmm. uh, and then a side of black beans and some cottage cheese. And uh, it's really, it's really like everything all together. And they don't have turkey sausage, but if they did, I would. I would it's get delicious. Sausage. I will say, just a side note: assuming the eggs are from a good source, uh, meaning a chicken vagina. <laughs> Right, as opposed to your, they're not human you, eggs. You don't want cow eggs. Yeah, no, you don't uh, want cow eggs or <laughs> snake eggs. But, eggs uh, assuming they're not fed some some bullshit, and uh, that they actually get outside and like eat what they're supposed to eat, meaning insects, etc. Then eat the yolks. You'll actually lose more fat with the yolks. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't thrown one egg. <laughs> I don't know so, if I could. So, I don't know if I could ask the tattooed covered hipsters working at the one hundred and one. Dude, did this chicken eat insects? <laughs> <laughs> Is it safe to assume yeah. that if it's free range, they have eaten insects? Uh, uh, yeah, there are the wording gets really dicey yeah, because yeah. there the, the wording is really abused. But if it's the coops are on an open yeah. range, yeah, I think it's pa- like pasture raised. The, the wording does get tricky, but uh, this comes back to the the sugar free gel. It's like do the best you can, yeah. and the, a couple of yolks from Safeway aren't going to kill you. You yeah. will you will lose more fat with egg yolks. So go to Whole Foods. Get yeah, or range chicken. Yeah, exactly. Or if it says like omega three, they have also like omega three enriched eggs. That would also be be helpful. So I'll use the carton egg whites. 
and I'll get some regular eggs. I'll yeah. make some. And I bought I bought a uh, I bought from Whole Foods a uh, just a, a men's multivitamin. Mm-hmm. But then I also my girlfriend has a calcium, potassium, magnesium supplements. Yep. So th- those are those are pretty good too. Calcium, potassium, magnesium are great to use on this on this particular diet, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the beginning when you're just getting used <laughs> to it. Uh, with men's multivitamin, I would just make sure it does not have iron in it. I would stay away from that because most men don't menstruate. Last I checked, <laughs> and that means one of the one of the. Then what is this blood? <laughs> what is Sometimes. I get in a mood though. <laughs> Matthew, you're becoming a woman today. <laughs> uh, so we men in particular, one of the theories uh, related to why men have a shorter life expectancy on average than women is that we don't we clear out. Risks. Take more risks. <laughs> is that we we don't eliminate toxic uh, byproducts of iron. And we hunt. Good read, especially <laughs> more and more every day. That's really interesting. I'll, yeah, I'll check to see. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I don't know if it has iron in it or not. Yeah. But, uh, but we're almost at the end of our hour with you. But I did, I, I did have one. This is going to be – hopefully this isn't a, a, too big of a question to ask at the end here. But, <laughs> but, you're, but you're a guy who you – know, especially if anyone follows your, your blog, which is, which is really fantastic. And Thank you. And you do a lot of great video stuff on there. And uh, if anyone who follows everything you do knows that – Anything that you decide to do, you have a very systematic way of going and figuring out, breaking it down, mm-hmm. and problem solving. Right. So, um, what, you know, do you just do you just have a, a kind of a basic set of uh, uh, rules or ideas for whenever you approach, just so that people can apply sure. to yeah. anything? Like, what, what's what's your problem solving approach the, if you want to learn something? Sure. The general approach is find the best people in the world. Which is not that difficult to do if you know how to use Google. <laughs> uh, let's say in the case of swimming or running. So I'm getting ready to do this ultra marathon. So I go out and I find the pretty best al- ultra runner. <laughs> He's pretty good. Uh, go out and find people like Scott Jurek, who's an amazing ultra runner. Go talk to those people. Ask them who the outliers are. Who are the anomalies? So the best in the world, let's say Phelps or Jurek, they're built for their sport. Mm-hmm. I want to know, you know who, who's the 230-pound guy who runs ultras? Okay. Where's he? And how does he train? Has he trained other people? Is it replicable? So I, I always look for the outliers. If there's, let's say, I'm going I'm to be learning Arabic uh, next month. I'll be in the Middle East for the first time. Great timing, of course. <laughs> you're, doing, uh, you're doing some stand-up dates over there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, especially looking like American History X. Uh, I'm very excited about my, my interactions. Could we be wider? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll be learning Arabic. And to do that, I am trying to find the outliers, people who have learned Arabic very quickly. And the way you find those people or the methods that allow people to do that is by contact. It's very easy. You don't have to be you well noted. You're watch list now? You're Googling, <laughs> how do you learn Arabic quickly? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm already on so many watch lists. <laughs> Ordering chemistry kits via Amazon. Oh, I'm on every watch list. Wow. Just look, back look, in the look. day when I had the Anarchist Cookbook when I was like 12, yeah. I'm pretty sure that put me on every watch list. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, I will call, let's say, P- the the director of Islamic studies at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Get and, Rosetta Stone. Yeah, generally pretty, pretty. Uh, I do not recommend Rosetta. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know this. I got a call from Time Magazine at one point when Rosetta Stone was having their IPO, and they said, "We we we see on Wikipedia that you are a known uh, you are a known critic of Rosetta Stone." <laughs> it was apparently on Rosetta Stone's Wikipedia page. And I was like, "Well, it's true. I had no idea I was on Wikipedia, but I'm glad that's how you're you're sourcing your leads." Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, I, I always look for the outliers first, and then I would try to talk to those outliers and and ask them 
what are the biggest wastes of time, the most common wastes of time among novices, what are the most common mistakes of novices, what are the most common mistakes among advanced, and it's just a series of eight to ten questions, it doesn't take that long, and you can really, really learn a lot uh, at that point, or you can also ask them very practically, and I do this, say in the case of running, I'll say, okay, you have me, here are my basic attributes, here's, my, my, here's what I have. You have eight to 12 weeks to get me to a 50K race. You have eight to 12 weeks to get me to functional conversation, conversational fluency in Arabic. What would you do? Million dollar prize. What do you do? And they always have, they assume they always have an answer. It might take a while for them to formulate it, but then they'll have an, oh, sure, absolutely. And you find that these people are willing because they appreciate million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) And sharing, and like, and sort of sharing their knowledge. Yeah. Absolutely. I think if you express a genuine interest and you're polite about it, which is, a, I think, a lost art, <laughs> but given the interwebs. And what, uh, so once you have this information, then how, how do and you it apply doesn't, it? But it doesn't have to be, let's say, the best in the world. It could be the best person in your county, in your state. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not hard to find these people. And it's not about finding, having Phelps personally coach you. But if you find someone who is, let's say, on the Olympic trial, uh, went to the Olympic trials mm-hmm. 10 years ago, who was in your backyard... Fantastic. Right, better, it's better than you. He knows more than you do, right? Yeah, and uh, a very practical approach to take is to, uh, is to contact people who are not currently in the limelight. So if you want to get advice, like I did for my first book, I wanted to talk to best-selling authors, people who had New York Times bestsellers. Worst time to get in touch with those people is when they have a book on the New York Times bestseller list. Right. Wait until you're there three years out, maybe feeling a little bit neglected. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, it's not a bad thing, but it's like wait until they're out of the limelight. And they still know exactly what they're doing. Sure. And then you talk to them. Uh, so for that reason, if I want to learn how to run, I'm not going to contact uh, whoever's at the top of their game right now. They're not going to. I'll have to go through 15 agents. I'm not going to get to them. Right. But would it be hard for me to find somebody who was, say, an Olympic silver gold medalist eight years ago? Nah, not hard at all. Easy, super easy. That's great. Yeah. And then and then you you take that knowledge and then you just. Uh, I mean, do, do you Start feel like testing it out? Yeah. yeah. And do you feel do you feel like people? Uh, tend to overtrain or over, you know, like do you, when you're learning Arabic, are you going to study eight hours a day? Or are you like, you know, I'm going to study an hour before I go to bed because that's the best time to try to learn. Depends on the subject matter and what the learning curve looks like. With anything physical, whether it's swimming or running, the the most common mistake I would say that people make is uh, two mistakes: imitating the common, so whatever's most popular is almost always not the best approach. Mm-hmm. Number two would be too much volume. So they want to fix the problem with brute force. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, biology tends to respond really poorly to brute force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a good approach. With, with something like language, I find that the density of practice is extremely important. So I will do almost no practice before I go to the Middle East. The only thing I will, I'll focus on is learning the writing system. I'll, I will learn how to read Arabic so that I can, I can teach myself. Okay. Uh, as best possible when I get there. Uh, and then I, oh, I'll definitely be doing six to eight hours a day of Arabic without exception. Now, that wouldn't all be through sitting in front of a book. It would also be through practice. There's, there's training, then there's practice. Mm-hmm. Just, and, there, and, and I think that that's true in sports. It's also true in language. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have to test things in real-world circumstances. Talking your way out of a prison there, for instance. Right, <laughs> you know. And I think I'm actually really excited. I'm going to be going to Jordan, which, from what I understand, is very safe. And perhaps Lebanon, Beirut, also I've heard fantastic things about. I will not be going to Egypt on this trip. <laughs> um, 
but uh, it's 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 about testing assumptions. Well, I I, I love it, and, I, and one of, and one of the things that's so inspiring about what you do is just you know you you just decide you want to do something because it interests you, and then you just fucking figure it out. <laughs> which <laughs> which you know it's it's like now I'm sort of at the point where people are starting to ask me. How do you know? How do I do stand up? Or this guy last night was like, "How do I do a podcast?" And I'm like, "Well, you just do it. You just yeah. you buy the you buy a recorder, start talking to someone. But what's it about? Well, you have to know what you like. Like you have to know what you're interested in. And once you can figure that out, then just do it. Yeah, you know. And I also think that as it relates to that, attempting to teach whatever it is really helps you understand the subject matter, and it helps you improve your own performance. Mm-hmm. So if if I know, as a matter of fact, even if I even if I only have five people reading my blog, but if I know that after my Arabic experience, coming back to this accountability also, that I'm going to write a blog post about the, the process, mm-hmm. I will have better results. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So so if you have a so that that's a sort of that's sort of a good back burner goal, like that whenever you learn something that. Your and altruistically, this is just a good thing yeah. to do. Is that you're going to pass that knowledge on? That's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting way yeah. to to yeah. approach it. Yeah, absolutely. And if if you even have a very niche readership, let's just say it's a blog or listenership. Part of the reason that I I still blog because it it is uh, it's an investment mm-hmm. of time. Yeah is because of the feedback that I get. So yeah. I put up this post on how I learned to swim. This is this is why people are like, "Oh my god, I can't why do you read your comments in your blog? Like you're the 4-hour work week guy. I thought you'd have people in India doing that." And <laughs> I'll give you a very a real-world example of why I read my comments. When I put up my post on swimming, it was during the Olympics. This is when Phelps mania was going on, and within the first 20 comments, or maybe 50 comments, I had suggestions from the national team coach, I had suggestions from a former silver medalist. And that type of feedback is amazing. So if you attempt to learn something, you teach the people who don't know as much as you do, you will also attract the people who know a hell of a lot more than you do. Mm-hmm. Looks like they have a Google alert set up for learning to swim. What I had uh, Chris, Chris Anderson from Wired, not yeah. the TED conference Chris Anderson, right. but Wired's Chris Anderson, and we, we talked about you and, and Chris said, you know, Tim, and he said this in a, in a very complimentary way, but he was just like, Tim's one of those guys you hear about all the stuff he does and you just think, what is this douche's problem? And then you meet him and you realize he's the genuine thing. Like he really is. Yeah. He he really is a, a good guy and he's passionate about what he's doing and he and he really cares. And we talked a lot about your piece. Um, the the uh, the was it a was it a video piece uh, about uh, just sort of shrugging haters off on the oh right I did a presentation. Uh, called how to deal with how to deal with haters. Yes, in next web, and then I did a blog post. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it was we actually kind of worked through it because you know Chris and I were of the impression of like, look, we're evolved people, uh, we're educated, we know how the internet works, yet we still get fucking whiny when someone's like, fuck you, you suck. And we're like, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> right, right. And then you know, and and, you, and we used you as an example, like we used that as an example. And I mean, cool. I'm sure with some of the claims that you're making and some of the yeah. things that you've gone through, of course there are people online who are like, fuck you, Tim Ferriss. You know what the fuck you're talking about, you stupid piece of shit. How dare you? Oh, yeah, thousands. And so do you just, <laughs> just kind of write that off or do you, you know, is there anything constructive that you do with it? Uh, I would say that there's a lot of very valid criticism that comes through and mm-hmm. I, try to, I try to dismiss the tone 
I first of all, I don't read most of the comments on the internet about me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good policy. Okay. It's like if you if you go to TechCrunch or YouTube and you expect to gain something from reading your comments, oh no, other than a new prescription for antidepressants, never uh, ever you, ever you're wrong. Do that. So don't just don't read your comments. Uh, outside of your living room, which is how I view my blog. Uh, but when I do get feedback and I ask for feedback, I, I try to look at whether it is valuable and and dismiss the tone first. Uh, secondly, if people if people hate me, uh, which is, there are plenty of them who do for mostly reasons I don't understand, uh, I I won't address it unless there's some huge factual discrepancy. Okay. So if they if they accuse me of something that's completely fictional. Mm-hmm. In some cases, I will respond to it. Not in all cases, because I think starving things of oxygen online is the most effective <laughs> self-defense policy. Yeah, of course. Because if you're like, that's bullshit, man. I never did A, B, C, D, and E, and you link to it. Oh, my God. All right. You just you just gave that five more notches yeah. up on your Google results. And I, I tend to avoid it. Uh, but I also think it's very important to realize that you can't my my general one of my rules in my like philosophical operating system is you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. Oh, that's really interesting. Right? So whether it's religion, whether it's some type of dietary dogma, if if they can't if they're not showing data, forget it. Don't argue. Mm-hmm. It's a waste of time. So if someone gets up to me and they're if someone stands up at a Q and A and I've done this a few times and they're like, you know what? The, you know, what the fuck do you mean about this? And that's bullshit because of this, this, and this. And they want to have a big debate. I say, is there anything that I could possibly say, any data I could possibly show you that would lead to you changing, changing your mind? And if they're like, no, I'm like, okay, sit down. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> well, so because people, people write mostly when they're emotional, yeah. which I always try to not to do because yeah. you're the, when you write when you're emotional, those are usually the ones that you regret. Yeah, and when yeah. people write something emotional, the times that I have responded have been like, "Oh, you know, this was seemed a little aggressive," and they're always like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." I don't, right. and, and right. I've been guilty of writing emotionally as yeah. well. Yeah, no, so. this is a really important point. So what I've noticed also is if you have, let's just say, a spectrum. So you have a line that represents your fans and haters, and in the very middle, there's completely neutral, mm-hmm. and then you have the people who absolutely, almost to a scary extent, love you, mm-hmm. and then on the other hand, to a scary extent, hate you. Mm-hmm. People at those two poles switch places really easily. Oh, yeah. It's something I've noticed. And both sides are equally dangerous. Uh, so I would say that whenever I if, – if I have criticism on the blog and I have tons of criticism on the blog, I just – I try to make sure that it's civil because I do treat – there's enough negativity in the world. I don't want to invite it into my, into my living room. It, it, like I said, as I view my blog comments, I don't want to encourage people to abuse each other. If they, if they attack me, that's fine. If they attack each other, then they get deleted. It's very, right. very simple. Uh, where was I going with that? If, uh, if I respond to them, then I, I try to respond very, very calmly. And I'm like, look, sorry you're disappointed. I'm sorry you feel that way. Here are two blogs I'd recommend you read instead. Mm-hmm. You know? I wish you well, Tim Ferriss. And like you said, eight times out of ten, they're like, "Oh shit, dude, I'm sorry. I got, like, I got, I lost my job. I had, yeah. I had a, I got, a, I got drunk and I had, had a huge argument with my girlfriend. Like, I was being a dick. I'm sorry." Um, or 
they completely flip and they're like, oh my God, all right, you responded, cool, you're awesome, now I'm your best friend. And then they become a diehard evangelist. And they're like, you didn't respond, fuck you again. Yeah, like, yeah. or if you have a diehard fan and they feel like you've slighted them, they will become your worst enemy. Right. And I think being aware of that's very helpful. It's all, it's, it's all that, just any kind of passion, the love passion or the hate passion. But we have, we've dominated your time uh, enough, but this was a phenomenal. This was phenomenal. This was fun, man. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so glad that we finally were able to, uh, to get you on the podcast. I know you're yeah. about to travel some more. And, uh, My pleasure, man. I'm so glad I can have pink packets of artificial sweet <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, sugar free jelly yes it is pretty delicious I will mm, say yeah. uh, and then the tropical flavor <laughs> <laughs> I have to get off chai lattes somehow <laughs> damn it go order the mat baby steps baby steps out of the office baby steps down the hallway the only thing left in my life chai lattes fuck Dr. Leo Marvin is I'm sailing burrito bowl with no rice <laughs> this is true thank you yeah. thank you <laughs> now leaving nerdist.com enjoy your burrito